ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. The pigeon, it's like, it's a really remarkable bird, but I think it suffers from having become too common. And as soon as anything becomes common in our day-to-day life, it sort of starts to become invisible. We stop noticing it. Not on my watch, Nathan. G'day, I'm Ann Jones, and this is What the Duck, where I infrequently abuse my power as a podcast host to search for the weirdest animal on Earth. Oh, and it turns out I didn't have to go far. The humble pigeon. The rock dove. The downtown duck. The cock of the shops. The boomtown bantam. The squalidly squab. It has an array of superpowers, and it's been hiding in plain sight all this time. The pigeon has a bad reputation. Think rat of the sky, notoriously lazy making nests. <laughs> I think I've certainly seen the memes online, uh, the pigeon like reading the manual of a nest and being like, oh yes, I'm so inspired, and then it cuts to the end and it's like three sticks uh, lying on the ground. They seem to be above you, watching you, and around your feet everywhere, and just trying to shag each other everywhere in the city. And people think... Well, they're just really dirty birds. Pigeons are surprisingly not dirty, or at least they're not dirty when they have a chance to to have a nice bath. Rosemary Mosco is a science writer who became a pigeon enthusiast. I am very excited about pigeons. Me too. Rosemary wrote a book called The Pocket Guide to Pigeon Watching, and she's agreed to help me mount a case today for the pigeon being the weirdest animal in the world. The pigeon and the dodo are in the same family. Yeah, that's a start. You know, if you stare hard enough at a, at a drawing of a dodo, you'll start to see it. They have that sort of knobbly bill and the kind of stubby body. So yeah, they're sort of a pigeon. So they're in the family Columbidae. It's a really remarkable family. You know, it's got all of the pigeons and doves. And hang on a minute, pigeons and doves are actually the same thing. Taxonomically speaking, there's no real obvious physiological difference between pigeons and doves. That's Dr Robin Leppard, an ornithologist from Melbourne. Doves are generally the smaller varieties of Columbidae. I think a great example that proves that there's not a lot of logic to what is a pigeon and what is a dove is the feral pigeon. Its real common name is actually the rock dove. So it's not really a pigeon, it's actually a dove. And doves, they've got a great reputation. Who do you pull out of your top hat in a magic show? What do you release when you open your casino? But seriously, they're an international symbol of peace and love and especially good if you get one with an olive branch in its beak from the UN. But pigeons are no pigeons. They have a reputation problem with the broader populace. Though, like all underdoves, They do have their admirers. Yes, there are all sorts of famous royals who loved pigeons because pigeons were these status symbols of the wealthy and powerful. So Queen Victoria loved pigeons. The Mughal Emperor Akbar was absolutely obsessed with pigeons and actually used to release flocks of pigeons when dignitaries would come and visit so that he could cower them into obedience with his stunning displays of pigeons. And then there are more recent people who are really into pigeons. So Claude Monet was into pigeons, Pablo Picasso. If you were to take a copy of Darwin's Origin of the Species and turn to the first page, he opens his argument about evolution talking about fancy pigeons. That's Nathan Finger from the podcast Bird of the Week, which has done quite a few pigeon episodes, actually, because, as discussed, pigeons are really, really weird. 
people have taken the humble rock dove, the ones that wander around our streets, and they've crossbred them to create interesting traits or unusual features. And that has led to what is known as fancy pigeons. The Jacobin pigeon has this amazing mane that kind of comes up over its head, and I like to think of it as a Russian aristocrat wearing a big coat off to the opera. For me, it's a thrice-divorced socialite auntie who swans in late to events and exclusively drinks white Russian and probably seduced a banker for her mink coat. It's a ridiculous bird that I feel probably shouldn't exist, but other types of fancy pigeons that have bred them to have feathers on their feet that look like quite large fans. They're quite fancy as well. Fancy. Yep, they look fancy, and if you breed or race pigeons, then you can call yourself a pigeon fancier. That's the word for it. There's a big list of famous pigeon fanciers. Walt Disney, Elvis Presley, the Australian cricketer and commentator Bill Laurie. Bill Laurie. Hey, Peter. The greatest pigeon trainer in Australia. Thank you very much. Are they your passion in life? Oh, they're my hobby. And Mr Laurie isn't the only one. When I was about 14... I was catching wild pigeons off buildings down the street. This is Aaron. And they were full of diseases and stuff like that. And then I started to see pigeons flying around people's houses and I'm thinking, they're racing pigeons. So I went door knocking. They welcomed me in, Ted Burgess and Iris Burgess, and he pretty much started me off with a couple of his birds and explained what I have to do. I had my first race that I ever went into. I actually won that, which I thought, geez, this is an easy sport, but it was a long time between drinks after that. Aaron has the Pidge Mahal in his backyard. He's also this year's Central Highlands Pigeon Combine champion. So in Ballarat, we race under the Central Highlands Pigeon Combine and we will start off at, say, uh, might be Horsham, then we'll go to Caniva, then we go to Keith, Murray Bridge, Port Augusta, and then we went to out as far as Glendambo. That's 1,045 kilometres as the pigeon flies. And how long would your birds take to get back? Well, they liberate them on a Friday morning at daylight. Sometimes we can get them on the day if they've got wind assistance with the wind behind them. If they don't have wind assistance, normally early the next morning. Wait, wait, wait. I'm in the presence of elite athletes. Yeah, you are, yeah. They're not much better than these ones. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what does a bird get if it does a good performance and gets in in a good time? Ooh, good question. There's a lot of races now that are worth big money. So we were in a race the other week in Melbourne at the Meadows One Loft Race, and that was worth $80,000 first prize. Holy snickerdoodles, that's a lot of money. Yeah, that was very good. Pigeon racing is big bickies, and it's taken very, very seriously. And you know what? There's historical precedent pigeons probably should be taken very, very seriously. They were domesticated five to 10,000 years ago, and all of the Columbolivia pigeons that you see in cities, they're all descendants of these really important domestically raised birds. And a lot of why they were raised was food. They were keeping thousands and thousands of pigeons so that they can eat all that pigeon meat and also collect their pigeon poop. 
God, don't tell me they ate the pigeon poo. So in places where maybe the soil was a little bit less fertile, pigeon poop was this really valuable fertilizer. But what's interesting too is that it contains saltpeter, which is one of the key ingredients in gunpowder. So there was also a period of time, especially in the UK, where by order of the king, these fellows named saltpeterman would go and dig up places where people were keeping pigeons, dig up the poop and use it for these warlike purposes. It's absolutely wild. You know, right now, pigeons are considered fairly low class, I hate to say. And not super explosive either. But what's interesting about them is that at one point, they were the height of a status symbol. They really were sort of like a Ferrari, you know, or a private island or a private jet. Pigeons became a way of expressing your status. And when something's a symbol of power, it means that there are the haves and the have-nots. In England and France, there was a time when you couldn't own pigeons if you were poor. And it was actually one of the triggers of the French Revolution. Hello! Pidgeys played a role in the French Revolution? Poor people were very angry that they weren't allowed to keep pigeons. Then they rose up and smashed the dovecotes of the rich. And very hastily, the rich said, OK, you can, in fact, have pigeons. Let them eat squab. And I think that's really fascinating because we don't think of them as something that's limited to just the rich. But then when poor people started to be able to have pigeons, I think maybe the cachet was lost to a certain extent. And then over time, they became considered a a pretty unpleasant and undesirable creature. And it's just, it's incredible how the mighty have fallen. Speaking of which, Mike Tyson. He's perhaps the most famous, famous person who is also a pigeon fancier. He once said that the first thing he ever loved was a pigeon, and it was his love that caused the ire of planning authorities when he built a huge 1,000-bird coop without the right permit in his backyard. And he's even translated all of that passion into a pigeon NFT. It's bizarre. There are other pigeon fans in the world. And most of them are ordinary people. In fact, there's a growing movement to keep pigeons as pets, and you can buy them pigeon diapers. Okay, what the duck? Pigeon nappies. They're pretty common for people who do take their birds out and about. Meet April, a pigeon rehabber from the Gold Coast who has a pet pigeon named Cream. Basically, it's just like a little Velcroed sort of harness that goes around their body so their wings are fully free, and there's just sort of a little pouch under their cloaca. That's the bird butthole. And so it just catches their poop. And so that helps minimise the mess, particularly if you're taking them out and about for walks. For walks. I'm making fun, but it does make sense. Rock doves have thousands of years of domestication and cohabitation with humans, so they would make a good pet. Every morning we take Cream, our girl pigeon, to do a poop over the toilet and she's used to that routine. But still, what the duck, a toilet-trained pigeon. She's even learnt to go herself. Yeah, it's my partner and I were both working from home uh, and we realised it was a bit quiet uh, and looking everywhere, found her just sitting on the toilet seat and I looked in the toilet and she'd she'd gone. (laughs) So, yeah, she's pretty clever. Rock doves are trainable and personable, but don't take it from me, take it from Aria who is nine years old. What's your earliest memories of the pigeons in the backyard? Aria's dad is Aaron, the racing pigeon fancier. Well, I remember when um, my bird was born, called Jackie. He's in the other shed over there. 
Aww, that's lovely. Do they make good pets? Would you recommend them? Mm, yeah. Why? Mm, they're fun to take care of and that. Is there something different about your dad, right, when he comes home from work and he's in the house versus when he's out here with the birds? Um, when he's out here, he always takes care of them and when he's inside, he's normally on his phone. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to other pigeon people. <laughs> So there's definitely something about pigeons that makes people fall in love. Could it be the fact that they are, in fact, good suck-ups? They're one of the very few birds that is able to sip water. Most birds, because of the way that their beaks are structured, they can't create a seal when they dip their beaks into water, so they can't really suck. This is why if you watch most birds drink, they dip their head into the water and then tilt it back. What they're doing is getting a beak full of water and then using gravity to roll it down their throat. Pigeons and their close relatives, the sand grouse, are the only birds that can sip. So when they they dip their heads into water, they can draw it up using their tongue and then their esophagus uh, crop sort of thing, they flex that and that draws the water into them. They use themselves as a straw. (laughs) Yes, uh, well, I suppose, you know, you know, pigeons suck, I guess, in one sense. There's a lot that people don't know about pigeons. Though I reckon the fact that they can carry messages is probably one of the facts that has slipped through. They were used as messengers to carry the results of the first Olympic Games, which I think is really incredible. So they were sort of like a little like sports ticker. Uh, they were used by Genghis Khan. So what's going on there with pigeons is that if you carry one of them far away from its nest, it will be able to find its way back home. But how? This has been a real mystery of science for a long, long, long time. And I guess the short, glib answer is we actually don't know. That's Nathan Finger again from the Bird of the Week podcast. We have a lot of theories which have been backed up. So I guess the famous one that most people would be at least anecdotally aware of is that pigeons can somehow sense the Earth's magnetic field. But we've actually had a really hard time proving it. I think for a long time people had sort of found that they had particles in their beaks that seemed to be sensitive to magnetic fields. We also think that um, they have uh, receptors in their eyes, uh, cryptochromes I believe they're called, that seem to be sensitive to magnetic fields. So it could be that pigeons can sort of see magnetic fields, which is kind of mind-boggling. They also seem to uh, be able to smell their way to certain locations that they will imprint on the scent mark of their home roost and then they can use their ambient smells around them that will kind of guide them back home. And then there have also been experiments that have shown that pigeons can hear low-frequency infrasounds and that this also seems to play a role in their ability to navigate. It seems that there's no one answer as to how they do it. It seems that they rely on a whole array of sensors How I'd describe it is that they're problem solvers using their many heightened senses to find their way home. They're experiencing the world in a much, much richer way than we are. We must be stumbling around in the dark compared to how a pigeon is interacting with the world. Right. They're basically super pigeons. And where there is a skill to be exploited, or um, exploded, you can bet your bottom dollar that the military will get involved. 
The carrier pigeon is an ally of the mechanical pigeon, the aeroplane. There were honestly so many war hero pigeons that I didn't have space to mention them all in my book. Yeah, and they're often put up as absolute nationalists, doing their best and serving the lads on the front line and all that, but actually they just wanted to go back to their girlfriend or boyfriend. Exactly, yeah, that's kind of the sad thing about it. They can fly 60 miles an hour, they're very, very accurate, and so they'll make it home, and they really want to make it home because that's where their mate is. Their desire is to get home to their mate. Thousands of pigeons were used in the World Wars, carried off from their home coops to be released from trenches and tanks and boats and planes. Very small notes were attached to these pigeons, and they became responsible for hundreds, even thousands, of human lives. You know, so there's this very famous pigeon, Cher Ami. He was brought, I believe, behind enemy lines by these soldiers who wound up under friendly fire and I think also enemy attack. They were encircled and runners were sent out, but they kept on getting killed. And it was just this horrendous situation and they released a pigeon or two. Apparently, the first message was, many wounded, we cannot evacuate. But that pigeon got shot down. The second bird was with the message, men are suffering, can support be sent. They're so polite. Anyway, that pigeon got shot down as well. And their last pigeon was Cher Ami. A pigeon originally from Britain, trained by US soldiers, its destination a loft 25 miles away. Cher Ami carried a message that apparently said, our own artillery is dropping a barrage directly upon us. For heaven's sake, stop it. So polite. And as Cherami, you know, who has no idea where he is and what he's doing, is flying over the battlefield, he winds up getting shot and losing part of one of his legs. Cherami got shot three times, each time falling to the ground and then appearing again, taking off. The bird managed to fly 25 miles in 25 minutes. And he survives for some time afterwards and goes on kind of an international tour, this heroism tour, and is given a medal. Also got mounted as a taxidermied hero of the quest for freedom. But you do have to feel a little bit bad for these pigeons who have no idea what they're doing. They definitely were not volunteers. That is one way to put it. But it doesn't end there. Project Pigeon came about during the Second World War. Project Pigeon was the brainchild of B.F. Skinner, a behavioural psychologist. He believed he could use pigeons as kamikaze pilots to guide missiles at targets. Absolutely logical stuff. He had, uh, would set up a screen with a target and the pigeon was encouraged to peck at this target because it would get a food reward so that when the pigeon was loaded in the front of a missile, and it would see like a battleship, it would peck at, on the screen and its pecking would then send electrical signals into the missile which would then adjust its trajectory to guide it towards the target. Thankfully, this was never deployed in war. B.F. Skinner, uh, he, he said the reason for that was because the army never took him seriously. <laughs> <laughs> but he did prove in principle that it would have worked. And pigeons also helped out the US Coast Guard They were used in a similar way to the missiles, except instead of being in a missile, they were put into capsules on the bottom of aircraft. They were taught to peck at any human shapes that they saw floating in the water below. The Coast Guard even had a campaign urging boat users to wear bright colours for the rescue squab of pigeons. Peck, 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 peck. 
people could find humans in the water with about a 38% success rate, whereas the pigeons had a 93% success rate. Wow. And there are a couple of reasons for this. One of them is that the pigeons' eyes are much more sensitive than human eyes. They have, I think, five colour receptors in their eyes as opposed to our three. And their eyes proportionally to their head would be as if we had eyes the size of grapefruit. Wow. And the other reason they thought the pigeons were better at spotting people at sea was because they were more motivated to get their food reward. I don't know. I'm pretty motivated for the right biscuits. But saying they're pretty motivated for food is actually a bit offensive, right? It makes them sound like they're a little bit stupid. So there have been all sorts of interesting studies about their intelligence. There was one that found that they can tell uh, Monet's from Picasso's, although they can't <laughs> tell if a Picasso is hung upside down, which um, I also <laughs> have that problem sometimes. Um, oh, they can wow. tell, you know, Indian dance from martial arts. There's so many interesting studies. I mean, I think it's more pointing to the weird combos of things that scientists come up with, but okay. There was a study that was done in, I think, in England in 2015 where they had trained pigeons to distinguish between slides of malignant and benign breast tumours. That's more like it. Pigeons are going to save us. And over a two-week period, they found that most pigeons, with the exception of one who never really got the point of the experiment, but the other <laughs> pigeons, um, they were able to identify between malignant and benign tumours with an 85% success rate. I love the fact that there was one who was absolutely sh** at its job. There was even a famous experiment where the behaviourist B.F. Skinner taught them to play ping pong. So they can do a surprising number of things, but if you switch a pigeon's babies with another pigeon's babies, the pigeon won't know that anything has happened. Yeah, so up until a certain age, they can't even recognise their own children. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I, it's hard to hold it against them. You know, one mouldy potato looks maybe like another mouldy potato. Rude, but true. Even Aaron the pigeon fancier thinks they're a little bit ugly. Seven days old, those babies there. Now, tell me the truth. Yep. Do you think they're cute when they're babies? No, never. And you can find pictures of these on the internet, but for those not inclined to waste their impeccable search history on such things... They look like a handful of wet sand in a deflated condom that has been rolled around in laundry lint. Don't Google that either. I've been hiding something from you. It's perhaps the biggest pigeon superpower of all. One of the secrets to their overwhelming success on this earth. Pigeons make milk. That is my favourite thing about pigeons, hands down. Pigeons make milk. They do, they do. It's really rare among birds. There are only three birds that produce milk. It's uh, pigeons, flamingos and male emperor penguins. Yeah, pigeons make milk for their babies. And it's even better than that. The males and the females do it in pigeons, not like those sexist emperor penguins. It does not mean that they're a mammal. I know we have this idea that only mammals make milk and that makes us special, but some birds convergently evolved the ability to make milk. Now, you should not go try to milk a pigeon. You may look at a pigeon and think, okay, where does the milk come out? So is there um, beak to nipple action? I'm asking for a friend. Everyone would be familiar with the way that birds feed their young, where they will regurgitate for their chicks instead of regurgitating food, they will produce milk. 
and they produce this milk in their crop. In this this part of their esophagus, and it's this incredibly nutritious stuff that gives the babies a leg up so they're able to develop really, really fast and be really strong and healthy really early on. They will secrete this really fatty, high-protein. It's a little bit yellow. Some people describe it as a yellow kind of cottage cheese consistency. My God. And they will regurgitate this for their babies. What's interesting about this milk is that it has a lot of weird similarities with human milk. It contains proteins and fats and antioxidants and, you know, all kinds of important nutrients that babies need. And it's stimulated by a hormone called prolactin, which is what stimulates lactation in humans. So it's weirdly human-like. Hopefully, you'll never be able to look at a street pigeon the same. And when you're telling all your friends the weird pigeon facts and they're like, what is wrong with you? Can you please send them a link to What the Duck? Because sharing is caring. I'm Ann Jones, and along with Patria Ladgrove, we make What the Duck on the land of the Wadawurrung and Ghana people. Male pigeons clap for themselves after they have sex. But the male pigeons will sort of take off and they're slapping their wings over their head. So they're sort of giving themselves like a high five. It's called a post-copulatory display. I'm sure there's some listeners out there who have encountered a a partner like this. If you love What the Duck, you're going to love this crazy story all about surviving out in nature. We all come to the conclusion that we've got to save ourselves. Nobody's going to come to get us. I'm Pia Wursu, the host of From the Dead, season two of ABC's Expanse podcast. After a ship called the Blythe Star sank without a trace 50 years ago, 10 crewmen were thrown into the most extreme fight for survival and pushed beyond endurance. Here I am stuck in a life raft. What did I do to deserve this? This is From the Dead. Check it out and subscribe on the ABC Listen app. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.